I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn Jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn Jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Amazon.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money, and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins, and I've been there, juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. 
Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs, and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text Success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has other great podcasts like Marketing Made Simple, hosted by Dr. J.J. Peterson. Marketing Made Simple brings you practical tips to make your marketing easy and more importantly, make it work. Now, if any of these topics sound interesting to you, you're going to love his show, how to write and deliver captivating speeches, how to market yourself into a new job, how design can help and potentially hurt your revenue, and how to create a social media ad strategy that works. If these topics hit home and they're things that you want to learn about, go listen to Marketing Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. Today, you're going to hear an episode of my new podcast, Liquidity and Liquor. I co-host Liquidity and Liquor with Yosef Martin, a serial entrepreneur who sold his last company, BoxyCharm, for over $500 million. On Liquidity and Liquor, we have conversations about business, money, and life with some of the most interesting people in the world. You can download and subscribe to Liquidity and Liquor on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Ray, welcome to our show. Uh, we have Ray, the CEO and founder, not the co-founder, just the founder. Co-founder. With your father? Right. Co-founder. co-founder. No, no, I know your father is your co-founder. Or yes. You and your father mm-hmm. co-founded Monet, which right. is a very... Monet. 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 Yeah, like modern nature. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I know there's a lot of confusion and we actually have a song. About how to pronounce. I thought it's like a French name, Monet. It's not from, yeah, it's Monet the, the from painter. Modern Nature, yeah. I don't mm. think so. Monat, Monet. So. Okay, okay. So um, you're the founder You're of, not going to uh, sing the song on the podcast? Uh, you're going to have, <laughs> have the mic. No, that thing. is the no, right mic. Okay. So That's my sister, yeah. We have, uh, so it's fair to say you're a billionaire, and I think you're the first billionaire on our show. 
Thank you for manifesting that. And well, I mean, it is what it is. You have to <laughs> you have to celebrate your successes. And um, I've I've met with you the first time in 2017, right? Yeah, I think so. Right. Well, 2017. Years, yeah. Yes, and I remember we met, and later on we went to grab lunch at the end of 2017, and that was the third year of business for you, and you made only 300 million in sales. Right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Disappointed about that. Yes, we're gonna have to ask you a lot of questions. How one comes to a point that does that on a third year of business, making profit doesn't raise, I guess, and uh, uh, how you came about doing that. What's important. I guess now when you're that high compared to how it was before, uh, we have a lot of questions, personal life, and, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, well, um, I'm from Venezuela originally, so I moved uh, to the U.S. 22 years ago in 2000. I was with, uh, moved with my wife. Uh, we were the first people in my family to actually move to the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, completely alone, with $600 in our pockets. Oh. Uh, getting the bus in Miami with shocks, right? Public transportation is not great. Uh, found a few jobs. Work at, my wife worked at McDonald's. I work at Sears in the hardware department as a part-timer. I'm not a handyman uh, by any means, so it's terrible. But uh, did a lot of things. Pick up people at the airport to take them to uh, Calle 20 to uh, get the wholesale mm -hmm. shopping. Anything, anything. Calle, anything. Calle 20 is a place where all the wholesalers are, at least it used to be. In you know that place. place. So you, Calle 20 is uh, for anyone that's not from Miami, or even if you're in Miami and you don't know, that's the place where you find all the wholesalers if you want to open a business. People would fly down mm -hmm. from Latin America mostly, and they would know. A lot of Latinos would know about that. So right. that's uh, a known street for that. Right, so yeah, so I would go there, uh, drive people around for $100 a day, uh, then actually there, I started buying perfumes, designer mm -hmm. perfumes, and selling it door to door, to friends, did all kinds of jobs. And that's how we started our life here in America. Wow. That's, I mean, if anyone has any doubt that you don't need to start with money, here it is, a life example where it's kind of like a, I heard this good analogy in a podcast where you say, listen, when you play poker, you can have a good hand and still lose. You can have a bad hand mm -hmm. and still win. The good players, it's not about what hand they have, it's how they play. Okay. So it doesn't matter where you came from life. Actually, I think You that can always make it. Because I talk about this a lot. I think if you have more resources, uh, you're going to be the less efficient mm -hmm. because you will waste so much. When you don't have resources, you just have to be smart about how you invest and spend those few dollars that you have, especially at the beginning of a company, right? Absolutely. And also because, so you come here, you don't have anything, you're trying to make ends meet. Do you think, do you think the, like you said, the hard work and the, and the need to support your family, do you think that gave you the edge? Almost like, um, like an immigrant edge. Right. Uh, well, I think it's like you have no option, right? Uh, I remember I was moving a move here. My dad, who is my partner and is an amazing entrepreneur, has always been, but he was one of the first that told me, don't go. Right? You're going to end up serving tables, watching cards. Was the point. I was middle class in Venezuela. Mm -hmm. It wasn't bad. I was super young. Um, but I always said, no, there have to be better things to do. Right? There have to be something better in life. But then when you move here as an immigrant, I think there is no plan B. Right? Uh, mm. This is the plan A that you have. And when you don't have a plan B, you have to make it work. Yes. And that's the thing that you have, when people have something to fall on, I feel that they don't go all in. Because you always, in your mind, you always have, oh, but have a plan B. And your mind will always try to protect you, right? Your mind will always tell you the things and the reasons why you won't be able to make it. 
So that's, I think, what sometimes immigrants just give that extra mile. Yeah, there's a kind of the statistic I heard that uh, I think 89% of all entrepreneurs started from the bottom and the other 11% had something to show for. So that's a different motivation reason. Sometimes you feel you've sat down and I, I know a few that came from money and made much more money. Yeah. And but but it's not as much. First, you don't have too many people with money. That's a that's a first thing. Let's let's be fair about mm. that. But then. The ones that do find a reason, it's just you like to build stuff. It's it's not or, because you're comfortable and they like to try something new. And if you sit down at the table and everyone's kind of like contractors buying, selling buildings and you know, on the on the dinner table, all you hear all the men as a kid talking about buildings, it sounds easy for you and you, you don't think you don't put barriers, mental barriers. But that's why, because you were raised in this mindset, right? Like you you're raised in an entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah. So I mean, for me, I had to break out of that because my family all had stable government jobs. They all had like, you mm. know, the nine to five and that's safe and that's not that's not a high risk lifestyle. So I had to break out of that versus somebody who's grown up with it all the time. And then you grow up and you're like, OK, my whole family, we all build things. All my friends build. How many things. people do you know that actually came from money and made more money than their parents? They came, not none. OK, I know one. I don't know I only any. know one person. And I don't I know. know I know a lot of people, but I only know one. That had that story. I'm trying to think now. I don't think I know any that came from money and made more money than their parents. If anything, if anything, they lost money. <laughs> oh, that, that's that's the majority, right? And that's that's the idea. When when you look at poker, you can have great hand and lose it all. You can have bad hand and still win. And it's like in life where you see rich kids losing all the parents' money, and then you see poor kids making all the money to their kids that would eventually lose a lot of that money. I guess you could say that's, Elon Musk. Well, I don't know him personally. I know. So. I don't know. I mean, I, I was busy. He keeps calling me, bugging me. I just stop. But um, yeah, that's that's where you say anyone can make it. But that's that's a perfect story. How you came in, cleaning tables, and uh, now let's let's talk about um, what. How do you get into it? Uh, well, day after that, so I was lucky. Both my parents uh, were very entrepreneurial, right? Or are very entrepreneurial. So they come from very, 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 very poor meaning, and they did direct sales. They did topware, right? Mm. Topware parties. And that's how they got out of poverty to middle class, gave me uh, a middle class too. So when I moved here in 2000, a year, two years later, my father called me, and he had retired from topware and um, had split with my mom, retired from topware, and completely went bankrupt. But right? lost all his money because he started doing things that he didn't know about restaurants, mm. and construction, and lost all his money. So when I moved to the United States, he was broke, I was broke, and he called me, Ray Lex, why don't we open our own direct sales company? You know, I know direct sales, uh, you're there, maybe you can come up with something that we can sell and market, and it's like that. You're broke, I'm broke, how do we do this? Like, no, I think some of our, our relatives uh, want to invest with us, and with that idea that we have, with this idea that we have, so, we raised, initially we raised something like $80,000. We took that $80,000 from 2002 until 2010, and we make it in a $200 million company without uh, outside financing. So I was shipping products. I was making products here in the United States and shipping it to uh, Latin America, especially, uh, mainly Venezuela, and distributing it there through direct sales. Interesting. And and that, that was originally Monet? No, no, that was, that was a company before. that was called uh, Liu Ding. It was called Illusions initially. Mm -hmm. And then we went expanded to other countries because of trademark, as my Illusions was taking. We changed it to Liu Ding. 
And that, that was the company that we had to shut down in 2012 because the, you know, the, may, the mess that happened in Venezuela yes. with the government and um, currency So primarily you were selling in Venezuela. What's that where lion's share of the, of, the, of the business was? $200 million that? selling into Venezuela direct sales. We're, yeah, we're the biggest wow. direct sales company there. Yeah, it was crazy. Interesting. Yeah, we're shipping containers with products from here and we're doing a lot of promotions like appliances and toasters and TVs. We're shipping it from um, yeah, Asia. We're shipping something like 1,500 containers a year. But this is, this is interesting. So you're saying your father was doing Tupperware, which he was working for an MLM company. He went out, cashed out, whatever, put all that money into something he doesn't know, lost all that money. Right. Then went back to what he knows, but thought, how can I actually make my own business like a Tupperware? Correct. And that's when you guys took off and Exactly. And changed and that's how life. we started doing it. And we did it with $80,000. It wasn't nothing sophisticated. Our first catalog was a PowerPoint presentation. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 19, so uh, I came and came to do a bath and body line. And the first... You already married at the age of 19? I married at the age of 19, yeah. No, we've been Interesting. Married. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations. That's thank amazing. You. Thank right? you. Actually, yeah. 18. Beautiful. Um, yeah, I've been dating Carolina since I was 16 years old. So. Nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we did, we did, we did this business. And initially, I remember when I started doing the products, um, loading my first container myself. I have the pictures actually posted in my Instagram the other day. Um, the first products was body lotions and body mist. The first shipment, 20% of it got lost because it was leaking on the on the, wow. <laughs> yeah. the, the labels were wrinkling. Uh, but you know what? You need, you need those errors in the beginning. It's never perfect. Yes. And I think that's another, if, if we want to talk about advice, I will tell people, never wait for the perfect moment because it's never going to happen. Right? Can I understand something too? Because I want to I want to um, define some things just for the audience. So direct sales, network marketing, MLM, what what's define these and are they the same? Are they different? It's kind of the same, kind of the same, right? Uh, I would say everything will fall into the direct sales umbrella. It's a great question. Um, because even I ask myself, sometimes we are defined by network marketing, but we did direct sales. When we did our first company, we, in our mind, we were not in network marketing. We're in direct sales. Normally, direct sales is more like I go to a party, maybe have one person under me uh, helping me or doing a, a team, mm -hmm. and that's it. Network marketing, you have different levels, right? So it's a little bit deeper. And actually, for me, network marketing was like the dark side. Like, uh, I never, I'll never be one of those network marketing companies, but I was in direct sales. But in reality, everything is, is direct sales, right? So what, is, what is the difference between a pyramid scheme that I'll say in a negative term versus the today's legal multi-level marketing mm -hmm. known as MLM? Yeah, it's very clearly defined by the FTC. Okay. So the FTC clearly says the difference between a pyramid scheme and an actual legal network marketing company is that you, don't, you have to have an actual product, mm. right? A tangible product to sell. So what happened in the 90s, um, for example, is that a lot of these companies are still existing, big companies, could make a lot of money selling uh, video cassettes with training. And that's not really a product. Right? Mm. That's not really a consumable product. And the FTC made, made, it, FTC made it illegal. So you cannot be selling training, right? or selling an audio. That's not a product. You have to be selling something that people are going to use. But mm. there still have been MLM companies that have a product 
that still get into trouble because I feel like they don't push the product enough. Right. And they may, I think, is there like um, an FTC definition of how much revenue yeah. can come from one versus another? It's not clear. And that's that's the issue with the FTC sometimes that they want to put all these rules, but they don't black and white tell you what. Mm -hmm. Now, there is some background on what happened with Herbalife. And I think what they told them, uh, the ruling was with Herbalife, you have to have over 60% of your revenue coming from customers. Mm. But there was a ruling that they made on Herbalife, and it's like a guideline. So let me, let me just, so the audience will understand. Yeah, it, you're basically selling company, you're selling people a business. They sell other people your product. So if I come to work for an MLM company like Monet or Herbalife, I go out, I pay a thousand dollars or so, I get a bunch of those products, and now my job is to go and sell it. And if anybody ever wants to buy those products, they have to go through a guy like me to buy them. So you sell me a business, I sell your product. Is that correct? Is that a fair? And then they say, well... Not necessarily, because you might come to Monet, and many of our market partners come and say, in fact, we have a new program. That so I you can go and buy directly from Monet? Without? Not a customer. A customer have to buy through an um, independent market partner. Okay, so that, that was my, my idea. So you cannot just go and buy it from the company. There are no stores or online websites. Correct. You have to buy from a person that has their code, that you go on a website and you buy through their code, right. or you buy from the person directly. Which is directly. the same principle of an affiliate program, right? You yes. have to buy through an affiliate. Yes, but a company doesn't have to sell their products through affiliates on an MLM. It must be distributed through your market, partner. market partners, correct? Okay, but so 60% would mean 60% of the revenue that you made would come from selling the, uh, the actual replenishment product for them versus selling the business to people. They're selling the actual package yes, for the first time. Exactly. Reason. Okay. Well, well, no, even, even better. Okay. Right? Or even most of the revenue of a company, for example, in my case, in the case of Monet, over 70% of my revenue comes from shipment that I do directly to a customer that has nothing to do with the opportunity. Mm. And I'll tell you why we do this and how we do it. In the past, right before technology, uh, and still many companies do it this way, I would sell the product to the distributor and I would expect that distributor to resell that product to a customer. I had no control. Right? Now with technology, what we did differently is that if you come into Monet and you enroll, as a market partner, I'll give you a website. It's called mm -hmm. a replicated website, right? So you get your website with your name on the URL and everything, whatever you want to put, uh, along with mymonet.com, and you go in and tell Scott, buy my product. Scott will buy from your website through the shopping cart and everything on your website. Their company will ship the product to Scott. You don't even touch the product. Mm -hmm. It's different. It's a big difference because now I know for a fact that the product is going to an end consumer. In the past, I would give you all the inventory, and what would happen is that maybe you wouldn't sell it mm -hmm. and end up with your garage full, full of, of products. Product. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So that's the difference. We ship directly to the customer, so we know the sales, you know the sales exactly what happened. Yeah. In 70% of my So no, what, my most people don't hold the product in their garage. Most people just go Absolutely. and tell you, send it over. And then, but they still have to give you an amount deposit for product that you just get to hold in your facility, right? Not when at they all. Subscribe. No? Not at all. Okay, so you just sign up and you don't have to invest any money. You invest, most people invest $200. Interesting. Right. So when you come to enroll, which you mentioned $1,000. Yeah. Still, companies doing that. We don't do that. I don't tell. I don't. We don't tell uh, a new market partner buy a thousand dollars. I don't want you to front load 
a bunch of products. You believe in your product and you said yeah, I we can. We encourage yes. you to buy there is a bigger packet, uh, yeah. pa- package package we'll call it product pack. I think it's now five hundred dollars. Uh, and we encourage you to like maybe try the whole line five hundred dollars. But you know what? Most I think I'm gonna say ninety percent of the people will come with two hundred dollars. And mm-hmm. that two hundred dollars it's like three fifty worth of products. So you're actually getting the products. Mm-hmm. You might use it for yourself or show no. show it off uh, when you're trying to sell it. Right, or use it for yourself, whatever you want, or, or use it as a tool. But it's not a big investment. That's all the investment you make. Interesting. Two hundred dollars. That's it. Uh, and then after that, you start selling products. So this is turning into like a significant affiliate. This is almost like a, an affiliate program. Yeah. Almost. Very, yeah. very close. Very close. Very close. In fact, uh, I just launched. We did a convention last month. It was a lot of fun. 10,000 people in St. Louis, um, and I launched a new thing called affiliate program, right? And what we're telling you is that you can start a business in Monet, and you don't have to build a thing if you don't want to. You can just build your first few ranks, few of three ranks, based on just selling products, if you want. We still encourage you to build a team, but if you want, do it like that, because it's so similar, right, to mm-hmm. an affiliate program. And a lot of people are saying, oh, but uh, we love the products. I mean, Monet's getting awards. Uh, in publications, in Elt, in Fortune, in, in Glamour, Vogue. So like, I want to sell the product. I don't want to build a thing. So like, okay, sell products. And we have a bunch of people doing that. Yeah. So when, when you have 10,000 people coming to your show, explain that. Cause explain that. Like 10,000 people coming into one facility. Because the, you just came. So we were having a conversation before yes. and you just had a big conference where? St. Louis. St. Louis, and 10,000 people showed up. Yeah. Actually, we had, we're arrested for 20,000. Okay. And we're less than that this time because um, plane tickets are very expensive and, you know, I think post-pandemic. But, yeah, but when we have over 20,000 arrested. And they all make money, I assume, because they flew down there, right? You have more than that amount, but, yeah. but then all those people actually turn... What's the highest paid type check you pay per month to one individual? Well, that's something I shouldn't say. Because okay. the FTC say, don't say, don't say income claims. Now there is an income disclosure statement, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I can mention it. There's a reg. There is an income disclosure statement which is public, and you can go monetary income disclosure statement. You can say you can see the average median income of each rank. I would say the highest uh, pay would be something like three million a year. Amazing. Yeah, for one person. Right? One person, and how many people grossed over a million dollar? You can't. <laughs> no, no, no. Are How many to, people like combine? No, no, no. He's oh, yeah. allowed. No, no, I could say that. I, could say say that. that. I, don't, I don't know from the top of my head. Um, you cannot mention other, but that, that you yeah, can I shouldn't mention names, Roughly. but yes. uh, I don't know. Maybe from the top of my head, maybe 20, 30 people, 40 will make about a million a year. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. So you have, you have a significant amount of people over there, like anywhere else. You always have the top 0.1% or so that are the one that can... And that's the thing that sometimes frustrates me, right? Yes. Because they say, wow, everybody in, the co- in network marketing fails. But isn't it true Point in every business? Life, well, I was going to say, if you have 20, 30, 40 people that make over a million and the brand's done, the, the fulfillment's done, the product's created, and they just have to market it, mm-hmm. that's not a bad business idea. In all seriousness, because if you think about what you'd have to do to make a million dollars in even like drop shipping Amazon product, mm-hmm. you have to do if a lot. If you go to a flea market and you know people are coming to buy and you create the environment for everything, you create a space, you, you create, okay, I know that I'll have multiple boots, I'll make more than a million a year. 
the flea market is going to have some winners, some losers. Some people are going to come lose their money, putting a boot, and then waste their time and money. Some people are going to be big, yeah. right? It's the same with Amazon. Some people can make it. You create a marketplace. You create the infrastructure. You invest in everything else. And uh, and let me ask you, in terms of tiers, how many tiers down? So if I brought Scott, Scott brought in Jenna, Jenna brought in Shaniqua, somebody just goes down. How many layers down is allowed to you by the FTC to have no, as an MLM? Not, but everyone gets commission from the people no, underneath it? No, there's no rule for that. It, every compensation plan is different. Okay, so you have a compensation. If I brought 20 layers down, so I brought one person, that person no. brought another person, I'll keep going down and make commission on all the people with the Well, no, it's not inf infinite, right? And once again, depending on the, the, the highest the rank, the deeper you can go. Mm. Right. So uh, normally it's like five, six levels, uh, depending on the rank. The so eventually it's less about how much you sell. It's about how much you solicit people to enter the program. It's both. Right. Once again, if you, I mean, there are people making thousands of dollars a month just by retail commissions. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and there is people making tens of thousands by building a team. Right. So it depends. It depends. Yeah. Interesting. But I was going to say about the, the failure because this annoys me a lot. It's like most people fail. Yeah, but if you just Google uh, SBA, what is a small business association? Yeah, right? isn't like ninety-five percent of it is, companies yeah. will fail after five years yeah, or something yeah. like that. So what's the difference, right? The difference is that here you almost have, you all only have to invest two hundred bucks, two hundred bucks. Yes, you don't and your time and your talent. Yeah. What's the world that could happen, right? Uh, and they say, oh, but you're gonna you you're skimming people for two hundred dollars. No, because the average. Median average income from my first rank is something like sixteen hundred a year. Mm -hmm. So you're making something. And most people will make this as a side, a side hustle, side right, yeah, side job. The gig economy, right? Yeah. I don't know if you heard, but the gig economy is growing. Everybody want to make Amazon or or, or, or Uber, uh, Uber Eats, uh, the gig economy. So what a lot of people want is an extra five hundred dollars, three hundred dollars in need. It's two, three, five hundred dollars. And that's what most people do. And they do this as a part-time job. So tell us a little bit, uh, talking about people uh, you know, like blaming you guys for... MLM has a whole cult uh, organization almost against anyone that has MLM. It seems like they don't even try the product. They don't know much. Uh, but they're already going to come with... It's MLM, okay, let's go and fry them. I, I, I didn't dive too much into it, but I've, I've read so much. Tell us your experience with that. Yeah. When we started getting, we call them the haters, right? Because that's all they do, right? They wake up every day to do a beautiful setup like this to hate on companies. It's like, how do you, because it blows my mind, right? They do their homework, man. They know every detail. It's like, you wake up in the morning just to spread negativity, to try to bring some people But they'll, they'll say, no, I mean, listen, uh, we see people um, getting scammed and so on. They, they pro probably, I'm sure there's a lot of people that just want to go and get the views. To get a big account, I that's, assume. That's, that's mostly what happens. Okay. Yeah. In so, my opinion. So you guys had something back in the day, but you went through this and it kind of like died. Um, in the, you were telling me about something. In, I, I know what happened when you get trolled. I, I know how it is when mm -hmm. you run a company and it's big. And you're especially talking just social, because Especially big. social media. Social media is mm -hmm. brutal. Yes. So mm -hmm. I, I can totally feel when, when it's just unfair where people demonize the owner for any reason. Tell, tell us your experience, what happened to you guys. Absolutely, in yeah. And so in, 20, in 2017, we went from 40 million to 300 million, right? The company exploded, thousands of people joined. Uh, we're everywhere, right? And we started the company based on doing a lot of Facebook, mm -hmm. right then, right? A lot of Facebook, uh, then we moved into Instagram in 2017. 
and start getting these trolls, right? Uh, just demonizing the company, talking about things that the product was were, were making that. There were the same things like that the hair, our hair care products and shampoos would make your hair fall. We have to do hundreds of thousands of dollars in clinical testing to prove the contrary. We have a lawsuit, right? Because it's like, okay, well, you know what? Let's, let's do a lawsuit, right? A, a, a class action and, and get money. And we, we have proven then again and again, closer to Michael. again and again, that it's not actually true. Mm-hmm. Through clinical studies and through the fact that that started in 2017, the company have doubled in size, and now everything solved by itself, right? We never change the formulas. We, we just, it, it just show the power of social media for the positive, but also for the you negative. Showed, you, so you're saying that it was starting with a comment that then took off, and eventually you had to get a private investigator. Um, because someone said, oh, my child lost his hair, and then you find Terrible. it was it was a false claim because they yeah. actually had cancer treatment, yeah. that child, and that's why they lost their hair. Terrible. I, I cannot, for me, it was mind-blowing how people could do things like this. I think it's for attention or, I don't know, for money, I don't know how. But then this, the network marketing haters would get into that and really go strong in creating They double groups. down on So there's a yeah. trending story in network marketing. Oh, another company. Well, another exactly. company that's doing and that. And they still do. I mean, they yeah. still do. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know. Are don't they know still chasing the... you guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, all the time. And every time we get momentum, Something they happens. show up. It's like, yeah. because they want, I don't know. Every time we get momentum. And we have one now. I don't. By the way, I don't pay a lot of attention to them because what I learned in 2018 is that they were draining all my energy. Man. And what I learned is that the bigger you are, the most, yeah. the more you will have. So I said, listen, I'm not going to solve this. It's going to keep happening. People will find a reason, right? Yeah. Uh, so I just stop paying attention to me. I tell my executive, don't even show me. I don't want to know. Because literally, they're just somebody in the basement, yeah. somewhere in the middle of the country, just yeah. talking without knowledge. Yeah. And it was interesting that there was one reason to leave. That this all this video and this this on analysis and and show all these numbers and she misread all these numbers terrible. Um, that girl wanted to be a market partner a couple of years ago. I have the screenshots, right? I have the screenshots. If she's seen for the first time, I, I have never said this. I have the screenshot. She wanted to be a market partner. Then she tried another company, failed in that company, and now. Is her, her life mission to badmouth network marketing companies. So you win, you failed, and now you badmouth the companies, and that's all you do with yeah. them all day long. So for me, there is no point really, I mean, they're there, but I don't really pay attention to that. But I know, I know it's a, they demonize the industry, right? And it's very unfair. Sometimes it's true, but it's very unfair. I know I was going to ask, do people go after you personally? Do you, do uh, no. you have issues on your Instagram? No, no I no. really, really don't. Uh, I mean, I think they know that I, I'm not trying to hurt anyone. I really yeah. don't get in a fight with them. I really don't care. All I want to do is what I do. And I know I'm doing well, so and I'm doing good. So I, I, don't, I don't really So care. who's your biggest competitor right now? I don't, I don't think about competitors, to be honest. I have never half. I just don't know anyone else in the hair industry uh, on the MLM. No, side. no, we were the but first. Do you compete with like the regular? Yes. Regular. I mean, yeah, no, I, mean, I say regular, like direct to consumer or, or, or regular. Haircare, the haircare BB, industry, yeah. right? I do, I do see and watch and we, the thing, watch the trends of the hair industry, right? What's out there, what's new. Uh, but I don't really see because network marketing is a channel, social selling is a channel, right? It's a $130 billion channel. It's 40 billion in the US. We're the only one 
really focusing on hair. Right? Mm. We're the first one, still the only one in this channel. Right? We're the number one hair care brand in the world now. By really? revenue. Yep. In size. In size. Yeah. The number one in the world. In the world. Yeah. Wow. What are some other big like like name some other big ones that we're comparing uh, competing? Uh, Aveda. Aveda is big. Um, I would say Kerastas. Uh, um, Olaplex uh, is doing good. Is doing good. Um, but very different approaches of what we do. Right? They are not vegan. Uh, they are not natural based. But they're doing they're doing good in, in terms of revenue. There, there's a Chinese one, um, I don't remember the name, but they're not here in the U.S. They're really big in, in Asia. But I was just curious because um, you said you're bigger than all those other companies. Now, I want to talk about how an uh, I, we keep saying MLM, network marketing, direct sale, whatever. How that type of company grows as quick as it did. So why do you think, in your opinion, your company... I can't remember the numbers you just mentioned. No, for, the, for, for how did we grow? Yeah, how did you grow? Because you went from... What was the number you mentioned? You yeah, from to, 40 to 300. That's insane. We went all the way to 800. In how many years? Uh, we went all the way to 800 in uh, six years. So that's not normal for most businesses. No, it's not, it's not normal for network marketing either, right? Yeah. Uh, we're number 20, which is about number 20, depending on the year, number 20 in the industry, in the network marketing industry. Uh, we were um, um, were set in, for the by the WWD top fifty beauty brands in the world. Uh, so it's not normal on the, in the industry or in the um, in, in the beauty, beauty industry or, yeah. or in the network marketing industry. In fact, they say that when you join and when when you start a company, if you do well, you'll have five hundred distributors year one. We had five hundred distributors month one. Man. Actually, when we launched, month one, yes. Yeah. So how did how? Well, I think we we came up with a great marketing strategy, right? Uh, we came up with a great story of her. I think it was the right time when we did in twenty fourteen, the premium hair care uh, industry was growing, right? We were the first ones to come up with a skimification of the scalp. Mm -hmm. Nobody was talking about that. Nobody was talking about the fact that your hair ages. It was an interesting conversation that people say, "Oh, I want to try. I want to try this." Natural-based products that work. That's my mantra, right? I want to make natural-based products that actually work, not only organic products that don't do much. What is the price of, of one shampoo? But uh, depending on if you buy as a VIP customer, which are our preferred customers, about thirty-eight dollars. Okay, yeah. thirty-eight dollars. It's a fair price, actually. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, but back then when I started, a lot of people told me nobody's gonna. Pay so much. Pay so much. I thought it would pay more than 10 bucks. But if you really show clinicals and real results, people's willing to, to pay. So do you have claims on the on the product? Yeah. Okay. No, no, no. And, I mean, and, claim and also, why hair? Uh, well, do you know what? It's kind of a coincidence and kind of a study I did, scientific studies that I did going to grocery stores and CVS and Ulta and so forth. Back then... Um, we ended up, when we started our first company, we shut the company in 2012, right? So it's like zero. have to let go. Everyone started getting the one six that, employees. The, the Venezuelan direct yeah. sales. I have, a, I have kind of my headquarters here in Miami already because we opened in Mexico, Ecuador, Colombia. It was smaller, smaller markets for us. But when it shut down Venezuela, it was the biggest market. We started from zero again. It's like, what do we do, right? What do we do? And then we ended up acquiring the private label manufacturer that was doing my product, mm. right? Because we're the main customers. It's like, we don't want you to go under when we shut down and there's so much potential for emulations. There's a, a nice lab. 
I don't want to. I don't want you to go under. We, we ended up Aquarius. We ended up acquiring them. So when they up acquiring, they said, "What do we do? What do we do?" Um, I went to the lab. It's like, "What's the best things that we do here? What, what's the expertise that we have here in this lab?" And I figured out it was her. Mm. No, we they're good. And do we have anything in her care? And then started talking about that, about skinification of the scalp, her her aging, and all that. And just by that, I said, "Let's focus on her." And then I went to see the industry. It's like actually nobody is doing hair care. Yeah. So it wasn't that I said nobody's doing hair care, I will do hair. It's what actually so first, what's my strength? And then by coincidence, nobody was doing Interesting. hair. And then that's what we, we, we started. I think that also got a lot of attention because everybody does, you know, supplements, vitamins, mm-hmm. uh, things like hair. Uh, so I think it was interesting. So it wasn't competitive, but it was in a business that just had the vacuum. No one was selling an MLM and the MLM any hair. And that was making a lot of sense, right? And you had cool. already expertise, so you were able to hit the ground running. Right, right. So we did that, and we, we started the company back then. I think you all appreciate this. With I had no distributors. So in the United States, so we want to focus now on the United States as a market. I was living here, but it wasn't my market. Mm-hmm. I want to focus on the United States as the main market. And uh, I, I, we have no distributors. So uh, the husband of a friend said, you should do a pay-per-click campaign. Mm. Do you remember those? Like, what's that? Right. And she said, yeah, you can do a pay-per-click campaign, targeted campaign. We started with $5,000 campaign. And that $5,000 brought me my first few distributors. And actually, some of those few distributors are still with the company. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. All the retention is good. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny when you said, look, I already had something over here. I had to make it make do. Uh, when when I said, I, I know one guy that came from money and did b- bigger than his parents, that, that's a funny story with the in warehouses. One of the guys didn't pay his rent and he just left. And he built the cremation business in it. He built everything. He put the oven, all that, and then just left. So he started the cremation business alongside that. And he had it for years and eventually exited the business. Just make do. I got it already. What else am I going to do? So it's, it's cool. You took that and you move it. Now, if there was one thing you would have changed in the past, what's one thing you could go back and tell yourself, hey, listen, do this or what, what would it be in the business in this business? in AI to your younger self when you started the business in this business yes in Monet you know it's, it's gonna sound cheesy but uh, I do think that your journey makes you who you are yes so you have to make the mistakes you have to make the right thing so I don't really know if I would have done anything mm-hmm. different in my life um, one thing that have helped me is I have always have sense of urgency mm-hmm. uh, since I was really young I was maybe 16, 17 already was doing businesses and doing all kinds of things. Uh, in terms of businesses, um, like for example, say Monet, right? When we started Monet, I would have maybe done, maybe do my due diligence of what was the right things to do in terms of doing the claims, right? Because I didn't know you need clinicals, right? I knew I was doing the right things. We tested, we tried, but went deeper in those kind of things. Yeah. But then I said, I didn't have the money. Yeah, because <laughs> so. yeah. usually when, when I get that question, I always say one thing. It's just, if there was any doubt to let someone go, it's always about I let them go too late. That was my, my thing as, so kind, I was as an entrepreneur. Some, I was talking to someone about that. Yeah. Just you so. don't fire quick enough? Well, I, I think I actually do, but you never feel a, a regret over letting someone go because you don't just go chop off heads for no reason. But when you let someone go, you always find out later on that you should have let them go sooner. 
it would have been no matter how because many times you say you know the momentum keep them a little bit longer like, no 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 because it's the most unnerving thing to do as an entrepreneur yes. especially like yeah, a that's the one you hate nobody like nobody wants to fire anyone yes it's it's, it's a hard conversation to have right yeah and i think for me um it's not that it's, it isn't hard because it is especially when there's so much sometimes there's, it's good people mm-hmm. um it's more about you're always in fear of am i going to create a gap in the company right mm-hmm. for too long what happened? Who's going to do this? How right? many times did you feel like you fired a person and you should have kept them longer? If you even never. had that. Ah, never. That's a, yeah. And that's a great question. I have yes. a, a conversation I was having with my brother. Helps me. He's my chief staff. And uh, I was talking to about someone and I said, I told him, Javi, 100% of the time yeah. that we have this conversation, 100% of the time we'll eventually say, why didn't we do this Yeah. yeah. The uncomfort mm-hmm. of letting that that position being eliminated until you find another person um, doesn't outweigh the the fact that that person wasn't the right person and you only find the holes after they leave because they're very good at covering them and then you said oh damn it should have been sooner right and it's every time you go back to your your yourself and you said next time it wouldn't happen and then it happened again because you know what you already know the person you feel bad and it's like you know (laughs) why did you bring this up because now that you're talking yeah i made that mistakes many 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 repeating right it's it's just human nature yes uh and i keep doing the mistake i keep making that mistake all the time and so what i've done is that i create like a mental checklist yes right? so number one that you want and you will hear this from every big guy that's running bigger companies is culture mm-hmm. right? number one thing and you know it like you know that this person is in the right culture is never going to work yeah and sometimes we want to convince ourselves because they are capable mm-hmm. and they have the background and they have the technical skills and they don't have the culture and just like no we'll make it work it will never work. never work it will never work and then sometimes Suddenly, they have the culture, suddenly, but they don't have the skills. Yes. And then it's like, okay, okay, I'm going to try, right? But sometimes you can't, depending on the position. If it's a very senior position, there's no way to make it work. And also, if you let a B player or a C player in the team, it's really going to alienate those A players, right? Because it's going to bring everybody down. Because, oh, so this is the standard. You're kind of setting the bar. You want to keep the bar high. Right, and that's how you win. Yeah, one of the worst parts is to keep a B player in a managerial position because B's A's hire A's, B's hire C's, because B's sees A's and B's as a threat. And before you know it, you get yourself a group of C's being managed by a B that kills anyone that has a chance. And eventually, you keep them longer. And, and they're masters of disguise. They know how to keep, <laughs> uh, like, showing what you need to see and 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 expect what you don't inspect. And they keep you outside of the loop and for purpose and, and the other thing I have, I have in my checklist is passion right so I, mm-hmm. there is someone this person I was talking about just this week it's like I just don't feel that person had the passion right so uh, even though we're a big company I want to have the passion I have the passion I want the people around me to have the passion of a startup right? when you're a startup you have the passion you want to make it everything better you want to make everything quick and then comes those with bureaucracy yes but takes time you have to be patient, right? Yeah. I just, I just doing my job, but I can see in your eyes that you don't have the passion for the specific thing that you're doing. So, if you don't have the passion, I don't want. What to are the ways to find them before they start? How can you? What are the questions you usually would ask those people to see? Okay, those are going to be those bureaucrats, and how do you eliminate ditch, that? Ditch the resumes, right? Yes, I, I, I learned that also the hard way. I would see mm-hmm. the resume and it's like red, but then I learned because of LinkedIn. 
people who will work in the company and then were posting LinkedIn. I work at Monet and I this, I did this, this and that. It's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) You were maybe a part of the team, but you didn't actually do that. It's like, how do you believe in a resume? So don't, don't, uh, don't go by resumes. Don't believe in the resumes. Um, I had I had people by by the way writing down their positions. When you would go and search my company, you would see all those employees, and you would see people that never worked for us, and say that <laughs> they're directors of X Y Z. They have never worked on my company, and and, and that, oh, that's, that's where it's yes. So so you're saying ditch the resume, but on the interview, mm-hmm. how do you go and you talk to a person? What are the questions you ask to mm-hmm. kind of like tell? Well, okay, the, the, one way for me for to spot it is. Ask them a project, like, okay, what's been your, big, your biggest win? And they'll tell you, I launched this product, right? Okay, tell me how you did it. Mm. Uh, well, no, no, but how you come up with that? So start digging. Tactical. Tactical questions. Yes. That's, listen, I get sometimes uh, people filter by human resources, department head, and then they come, they come to me. And in 20 minutes, you find you know, out what, yes. Why what do you say? You, you didn't notice that this person, they don't actually know what they're talking about. Because if you ask me about my business, yes, you know, I, the I mean, how long do I have? Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, ask me about how to make a product or how me, yeah. ask me anything about my business. I'll just tell you how much you want to know, because you'll tell <laughs> me, yeah, I can be here all day, all night. And then you ask people, it's like, I do product development. Okay. Tell me what's the process. Tell me what's the harder things about them. Tell me what are the hurdles. Uh, and they'll tell you one thing. This is all you have to say. You either have no passion or you really don't know the technical yeah. questions, the yeah. technical details. Then you find that there's just a manager that doesn't touch the details. Right. Yeah. Well, that's another issue too. When yeah. somebody takes it, when somebody uh, assumes all the responsibility and hasn't done the work, right? So they say they've done this, but it was really a team. I see all the time. It. I'm hiring yeah. a mid-management position. It's like, I increased sales 600%. And I tell them, it's like, you didn't. So tell me how you were part of a team that, did that maybe did something yeah. and what part did you did you play on that team? So I think digging down, that's my number one thing. Which is, by the way, that's still valid. If the person built a team that accomplishes a thing, that's... Yeah, but that's, don't say I. Don't say I. Uh, say so I, I built part. Sometimes you're part of a team. Someone, yeah. there is someone above you that built multiple teams and that's true they too. take credits. I mean, uh, it's it's a very... Well, no, you take credit for your yeah. for your role as an operator or if you if you have direct reports. That's what and, you and, can say that you built. Yeah. And to be great, you have to be into the weeds, right? Yeah. So that's the number one thing, right? So you have to be into the wit. So if you are, if I hire you to do events, I will ask you, what, do you, what is your benchmark? What, what are the companies that do the best events, right? If I hire you for products, and I'm talking about skincare, mm-hmm. so tell me what the skincare brands are killing it right now. Uh, which ones are those? Uh, if I'm asking you about direct sales, so what do you think are the direct sales companies that are winning and why? And most time, most of the times they won't tell me. Like, yeah. So you don't really you don't really don't know the industry. Now, ever, ever happened that, that you you did all that tactical questions to see that he came from the bottom, grew to the top, and you say, you know what, the guy is tactical, sounds like he knows what they're doing, or she, and then they come in and then they're not. What are the indication for you, like when you say, okay, it's not gonna work, like, it. like how long usually it takes you, and then what are the yeah, you know, it's hard because sometimes you have to give them the chance yes. um, of three, six months. And I mean, in my company, they go like that because we're, we're really You're fast. dynamic. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
let me think, how do I Did it ever it? happen though that a tactical person that was in a managerial position but very good in tactics wasn't the right one or usually they're usually performing? No, no. I mean, there was one case was years ago. I think it was, actually it was before Monet in my other company that I hired a CFO and he lasted one morning. <laughs> True story, right? One morning. One morning, yeah. Uh, How do you last one morning? Well, he started, we went to the conference room. Sexual harassment. <laughs> Hopefully not. Well, I don't know, I don't yeah, know. Well, that was fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, went to the room, started going to a financial statement, and I just did. I just saw that he didn't know the details of a PL. and l Oh, uh, oh. Well, that's an and, issue. Uh, and it's hard because this guy came from Avon, which is a yeah. multi-billion yeah. dollar company. But I turned to my... Because it was two CFOs, my older CFO for the for the umbrella brand. It's like, is it me or this guy? It's kind of weird. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I lost ten thousand dollars. I paid him ten thousand dollars to leave because it's like you know I'm not gonna work. It's gonna work, yeah. It's, uh, it's not gonna work out. Sometimes, to your point, sometimes I mean most of the time after three months you know you just want to make it work. But then you don't want yes. to be so harsh. Well, maybe they're just... A lot you of ask yourself, am I, is it just me? Am I the crazy one? And it's just, are they right saying I'm too too crazy? Because, yeah. yeah. But sometimes uh, sometimes people take time. So most, uh, yeah. I think it's wise for new people to come and ask questions, evaluate, uh, do a recon before coming too hard, too fast. Because that they, they might be abrasive too. So, But it also depends on the role too. So I come from a sales background and in enterprise sales, I mean, there's long sales cycles too. So mm -hmm. you have to look at the activity, you have to look at the leading indicators that will be measurable for success as opposed to lagging indicators. So if I have an enterprise sales rep that's coming in that has a, a nine month sales cycle, okay, fine. Make sure that you do all the, hmm. the checks ahead of time, but they're going to be nine months till they close a deal. So you have to make sure they're doing the activities that we know are eventually going to lead to success. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to measure on as opposed to the end result. And I think that in some positions, sometimes you measure on the, the lagging indicators or the end result a little bit too heavily. Uh -huh. So that's why you have to have those metrics in place so that you know if the results take a little bit of time. Great, great point. But in the meantime, what I've learned is to develop non-negotiables, right? So Correct, yeah. like I said, mm -hmm. passion, is a non-negotiable for me. Mm -hmm. Or attention to details yeah. is a non-negotiable, right? If I go, you might even be a month-to-month -month thing if I enjoy on top of a project. If I go and I ask you something and you don't know the details, uh, that's a big red flag for me. In a managerial it. position? Even at a senior position. No, no, no. If, if you're not managing anyone and you're new and you don't know certain details and you're just a coordinator. No, he's saying, he's saying if you're on a project for a period of time. No, no, oh. in any position. Oh, okay, okay. In no, any position. Right, this yes. is the point. I'm a CEO, right? but I have a partner and we have a board. Right? Yes. I pride myself of saying if the board asks me 10 questions, I will have the answers of nine, even if they are very detailed. Obviously, if you ask me, tell me exactly, I don't know. But listen, you ask me, how many orders did we ship yesterday? I'll tell you. What's the waiting times on customer service? I'll tell you. How many people did we sponsor yesterday? How many new customers did we bring? I'll tell you. I know those levels of details. And a lot of people get annoyed by that. But I, I always tell them, if you want to work with me, you have to be into the wits, right? Oh, but you're micromanaging. You have to micromanage the thing that matters, mm -hmm. right? So I'm asking you to micromanage the things that matter in your area. Mm -hmm. And you do, you do, you do, Box me that, and I don't want to sound like me, 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 but hold on a minute. I'm overseeing 10 areas of the company. You are focusing on one, I would expect you to know way more details than me. Yes. So, yeah. And, and then you find way, out that the person is not as technical as you, that you manage a whole. Yeah. By the way, just, just knowing doesn't always mean you're micromanaging either. 
exactly. it just means you have a finger on the pulse of that piece of business. So I think it's good to know. I think that maybe an excuse is, oh, you're micromanaging. It's because they don't want to know. They don't want to pay and attention. And you know what, Pulse? That's so important. You have to have the pulse of what's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. Right? Because when you have the pulse, you know what to do. So another thing that I tell them is like, because I, w I really want to be fast, oh, let's buy all these reports and analyses and, and Mintel and you know, monitor. It's like, that's fine. Right? The company pay for that and we use it. But when you really have the pulse of what's going on, of the beauty industry, of the drug sales industry, of the world today, you know what to do fast. You don't have really have to analyze a lot because you are so immersed to it that it's just second nature, it's just instinct that allow you to take the decisions fast without having to go through 10 reports. Right? Mm. I think that ultimately the winners are making better decisions. And when you mentioned um, that you're, you're very... Uh, Ur urgency is very important for you, and, and I think that's what matters, right? You just keep moving faster than everybody else because you're taking the urgent. You know what's urgent and it's important, which means there's 99% of not important. There is 1% that's important. There is 0.1% that's very important. And there is that percentage that's very urgent. If you always tackle the very important and urgent and then still manage after that the important and you weed out all the non-important, the effectiveness of your business is going to put you as a unicorn. And that is the issue with large companies where they deal with so much non-important and then they touch tiny, tiny bit with important and a little bit on the urgent and very important. Does it happen? I mean, did it happen to you? Because it happens to me that executive will come with nice ideas, nice ideas that just like, this is nice, but yes. does it really matter? I mean, yes, I've seen this. I've seen this before <laughs> where you sit time. down and it's like, I mean, it takes time to maneuver the company where you say, all right, our meetings are very, very focused on, on couple questions. What is our PNL look like from now until the end of the month in terms of uh, on a balance sheet? What are the urgent matters which we had to know, okay, this is shipping the boxes on time. If there are any delays, we need to go and inform the members before. If there are any issues with products not coming on time, we kind of learn after a while that how come we didn't inform the people in advance? Why is it coming to our desk when it's already on social media? So little by little we get efficient, right? It takes time. So then eventually you isolate only what's important. And we're just doing one hour a week manage like a corporate meeting, one hour a week, that's it. Everything else was tactical meetings, just build, build, create, invent, be into the details. One hour just to connect all the branches, and that's it. When we moved on later on and became more corporate and I started stepping out, it was completely different. And you just talk about everything, but the important parts were not there. Things were shipped late. Nobody knows about this. No one talks about all those meetings, you know. So. Well, it's interesting because I'm doing my strategy uh, meetings for 23 and okay let's have initiative right and now that we're talking I'm thinking about things that we have done better is that simplification for mm -hmm. next year my word I always have a word for a year right this year first relationships and uh, I tell people you have to have relationships because coming out of after COVID we all thought we could do everything digitally it's like you yeah. don't build relationships mm -hmm. over yes. Zoom um, the next year is simplification. How can we simplify? Because you start growing. It's like it's like when you build a house, right? You build the house and then you start coming with ideas and then you have the kitchen is this side and, and the bathroom is after the kitchen and everything yeah. is weird. It's like, let's simplify it. Let's I, have a, simplify I have a question it. for you on that point. So you mentioned before that you like to keep the company like a startup, like mm -hmm. innovative, fast moving. Mm -hmm. That's great. But when you have people that like a startup environment, they are also 
sometimes distracted with new ideas. They always mm -hmm. want to suggest mm -hmm. new things like you just mentioned. So how do you balance that? How do you balance startup innovation right. company with staying focused and on task with what matters? Yeah. The number one challenge that I've had in the company is bureaucracy, right? When you, you're an entrepreneur and you used to do a startup, it's fast. And now every, everything has to go through legal mm -hmm. and PMO and the software and all the check marking, which is fine. You, you have to do that. So how you can, can you still follow the process and be fast? So that's the number one challenge that we have. In and then, yes, all the initiatives, right? So I'm yeah. telling the team, let's be uh, proactive. And then you'll see that you have 200 projects open. So what I start doing is, once again, going back to the basics. What are the basic things that we need, right? So is it helping my field, right? So is it helping my market partners? Is it good for my customers? Is it going to help my customers? Is it going to increase sales? Is it a legal thing that we need to do? Uh, our compliance stuff that we really need to cover? So those are the pillars that you... Yeah. That's it. Yeah, Pillars, yes. That's yeah. it. If after that, everything is secondary. If after that we have time, let's do the other projects. Mm -hmm. But if it's not doing one of those, let's put in the back burner. Um, for now. Yeah, that's that's something that I, I keep mentioning because that's something that in Baxicham we used to have. We had one goal, which is to grow. While you're profitable, keep growing. Don't optimize your profit, just optimize your growth while you're profitable. And then we had four pillars. Get the best product in the box, get the best experience for the members, get the best experience for the brands, get the best experience for the influencers. That's it. If you want to grow, follow those four. We would sit down and you would say, you would hear uh, managers, directors, VPs talking to their teams and someone would come up with an idea to say, what pillar does it hit? So everything works and then you kind of like laser focus into one. The, every brain in the organization knows where to go to and how to get there. You get, not, if you have 100 people, 100 brains helping you now because they have a direction. So that's exactly what you guys did. You're just, just identifying what's important and yeah. And then, but then you say, okay, okay. So still would you have a bunch of ideas to increase sales? Still, we're having a lot. Okay, so then you have to have the instinct and the discussion. It's like, is this really going to matter? I mean, is this really going to move the needle? Sometimes, many times, you will try things that don't work. So uh, I always tell the things that it's okay, right? If it doesn't work, what I want is for all of us to face the brutal facts fast, right? Because what happens is that we get so enamored with the project. And same thing that maybe with an executive with a project, and it's been six months, a year, and you knew from month two that that project was not going to take off, that's idea initially, yeah. and you keep investing time, resources on that. So what I'm saying is, okay, you have to give it time, say you give it a quarter. So if after a quarter, it hasn't picked up, uh, let's face it for your facts. Yeah. I mean, that's fine. Maybe it's your project. Hey, we're trying things. That don't feel bad. Uh, I'm not putting it in our due. We try it. Focus on results, not the process. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the great things today is that you do so many things digitally, either on social media or through apps and platforms, that's really easy to measure. Yes. It's really easy to you measure. You can see right away. You can tell the feedback from the people. It's not back then you had to go and get focus groups sitting through a third party, identify, no, now it's, it's just right away. To your point, and sometimes the results will take time. Same we're doing something, say I launched a new program, right? And I launched it last month, actually a month ago. And it's doing great in many KPIs. Mm -hmm. It's a challenge, I know the KPI, but I know it's working, right? I know it's moving masses. I know people are excited about it. I know the feedback. I know. We've done things that had cost an app that had cost us $200,000. After three, four, five months, you don't see picking it up, the yeah. numbers, right? The yeah. numbers are not picking up. It's like, yeah. and maybe we either have to reshape this, but many, many times 
people don't face the brutal facts. No product. If it's not a product market fit, let's move on and try something else. Maybe it's going to work. And we got a couple of questions for you, by the way, because this is the first time we actually shared a story on my my page. A lot of questions. We're going to go and ask you those. Uh, before I start, I'm going to go and say you're married, you have children. How many children do you own currently? <laughs> I have three. Three? Three, yeah. Boys, girls? I have two boys, and uh, Vincent, uh, 14, about okay. to be 15. Nicholas is 11, and Paula, who just turned eight. A, a ah, so you have ago. two boys and a princess, yes. pretty much. Yeah, that's awesome. Literally the princess. That's awesome. That's great. And um, how is... The work that, life one, that balance, was one of the questions. Right? Are you single? So we, yeah. we answered that <laughs> Sorry, one. guys, he's not single. <laughs> His wife is gorgeous and she's amazing. I know she's very involved in the business. Yeah, she's and, uh, in product development. So product development, yes. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to see you guys work together, travel together, doing everything together. Mm. I saw that you bring the family, the whole family with you. When you go to Bora Bora with, mm. with all the influencers, you bring in the family mm. so you don't waste time with the kids. Yeah, we really, I mean, I don't do this alone, right? Uh, my, my, my father is a chairman. He is not involved in the day-to-day, but he's my partner, my advisor. Uh, in my family, right, my siblings are involved. My sister do uh, culture. We we not name her chief of culture. She, she makes sure that we have... Your sister? My sister. She's so the head beautiful. of the foundation, but she makes sure that we're doing proper recognition, we keep it in the form, and that culture that makes us different. And my brother's chief of staff, she's, he's involved in everything uh, with operations. So he solved for my, my issues on the, on the day-to-day. So. And my, my younger sister, well, have a baby sister, but my younger sister is trying to get involved, and she loves to sing, so now she's doing the jingles for the company. So. I just love the fact that you plugged in the company, the, the family into the company, mm-hmm. so everyone gets a piece of the experience, get that understanding that you can build a business, look, we're doing this together, and you keep the family with the, with the same experiences. You don't right. get to experience everything by yourself. Mm-hmm. That's very nice. Do you have any issues working with family? Uh, no. None. No. And everybody asks us that. Um, I think we have a high level of respect for each other, right? And uh, I'm the CEO. Uh, so my, my siblings are my siblings, and they're my best friends. But they respect me as yeah. a CEO, and I respect them as, a, as the professionals they are uh, at work. And no, we get along and we, we love to have fun together too. So uh, I think that's good. We really connect as friends. And is there, is there, I'm just one more family question. When you compare uh, like where your dad came from in direct sales, is there anything that you fundamentally disagree on in how you build a, like a direct sales yes. network marketing company? Yes. Yeah. Uh, many things. Right. So fundamentally, we agree in most everything, right? Strategically, we don't. But we do now, right? So we have trust me uh, on allowing to do my own strategies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for example, that part of creating a real brand, right? He wasn't in love with that idea. He said, okay, but I don't, I don't think that's, that, that was the key. And uh, he allowed me and, and actually my sister to uh, like, let's focus on create this cool brand, right? Mm-hmm. Initially, social media was like a secondary. Yeah. And now he's loved to be in social media himself, right? Um, but fundamentally, we know this is a business of people, so we believe in that strongly, and we have always focused on, say, on doing whatever is best for our people. So that fundamental, uh, I think, has, has been the glue uh, for our strategy. Yeah. Beautiful. Let's go and get, get some questions okay. here, and then I get oh over there. Okay. We have the Canadians <laughs> that can read all the questions. Well, we've kind of gone into this. So yes. someone asked, what is your business background? But more or less, you've answered that, so let's keep going. Um, 
We're wiping tables before. Uh-huh. Wiping tables. Well, yeah. I went to law school in Venezuela for oh. a couple of years. Yeah, I was okay. going to be a lawyer. Un abogado. Yeah, Mira. And, and really good at it. Really nice. good at it. So, um, what did you just say? <laughs> Un abogado. I don't know what that means. Uh, a lawyer in Spanish. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. And still, I'm re- really good at that. Still, right, to the date, I'm really good at that. Uh, and I was going to be a lawyer, but went to business schools here in FIU. Uh, oh, you went to business school? Yeah, went to business school. All right, look, me too. Uh, what years did you go? Uh, I ended up, what year did I graduate? Uh, 2004. Oh, so, really? Yeah. I'm on 07. I All finished, right. yes. Yeah. Look at us. Yeah, look at Maybe that. there is something. I keep butchering them with, the, oh, it's not going to work. It doesn't do anything. But <laughs> I don't know. Did, did, oh, yeah, now you're teaching them. Did business school do anything for you? Uh, yeah, yes. I, I, tr- I truly believe that business school... School in general. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know your point. <laughs> I know, yeah. And I'm with you mostly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I think business school gives you structure. Right. So it has allowed me to have some kind of structure. Okay. Around many. You things. did your master or your bachelor? Bachelor. A bachelor like bachelor. me. Yeah. yeah. Fuck yeah. master. What the hell do we need? More. Yeah, but now t- nowadays though it's different, right? I mean, yeah. 15 years ago you didn't have the level of information mm-hmm. online online, online yeah. that you have today for free or maybe for a nominal. Uh, 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 Fee, investment yeah. so I think it's different now I do still think I would still encourage my kids to go to school uh, to go to college now if you don't want to go I say okay what are you going to do and you're going to be the best yeah, at just do something you don't, yeah, don't be the do best nothing, at that yeah, exactly uh, I think curiosity and I think that makes us different is you have to really be really uh, curious uh, mm-hmm. curiosity it's about I see people that are experts of things uh, just by do watching videos on YouTube mm-hmm. about certain Could you topics. have done what you've done without going to business school? No, who knows? Who knows? I, I you mean, can't tell the outcome, but did, did, was there anything instrumental that without you taking that class? Oh, no, 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 right. no, specifically, no. I just think the level of structure. I mean, the fact that when you grow the company, now you have to, you have to deal with a board and you have to deal with mm. structures, org charts, uh, all these kind yeah, of things. Yeah. And I mean, I think it helps you, right? Uh, understand that faster. Interesting. Now, okay. could you delegate those things? Yes. Yeah. So that's the question. Okay. Okay. Let's go through some of these. So first question, um, I won't read the names. I guess I you shouldn't. can read the name. I mean, Johnny. No one's gonna know Johnny, is it? Yeah, but they might know. <laughs> no, well, they'll know. We mentioned them. We give them the credit. All you right. And say the name of the handle. I okay. Mean, they, so the Ryan Morgan asks, any business that is done as MLM immediately loses credibility to me. Why MLM? Right. Well, we're talking. I think it's fair. That there is a bad name. I understand why there is a bad name on, on multi-level marketing, on network marketing, because once again, back in the 90s, there was no regulation, right? And a lot of people, a lot of companies just push products to the distributors without caring about what they were going to do with the products. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people just ended up overloading products on their garages, in their closets. It's different now, right? Because right now, you do the investment, and you look for customers and the company will ship the post to the customers and you'll get a commission. Mm. So it's pretty different from what it was before. I guess it's kind of hard to get away with the name. It's just like they're saying Honduras is a very dangerous place, but today it's actually not. It used to 10, 20 years ago, right? <laughs> like it's, it's not as dangerous, right? So it takes, it takes a while. Why, to... why instead of direct-to-consumer or regular B2B? Because, because, well, because network marketing will give you the platform, have you said it yeah. uh, yourself. You're going to network marketing, a good company, right? And I'm not going to say Monet is the only great network marketing company because there are some out there, not many, but some. Because the other, one you, the other thing you want to see 
is an actual product, right? And still, actual, I mean, not an actual product, a great product. A great, right? yeah. So what we do, for me, the way I measure my, the quality of my product is, and I would never do this because I, I believe in the channel, would this product survive in a shelf in Sephora? Mm-hmm. Would this product survive in a shelf in Ulta, right? And that's, for me, a stress test. And then the other thing is that we do PR. But, you know, editors will pick up the products that they like. I mean, you, I don't pay the editors. And I see editors picking up the products by their claims, clinicals, mm-hmm. results, the branding, the innovation that we're presenting. So go with a company. If you're going to go to a company, a network marketing company, go with a company that has products that you actually believe mm-hmm. in. And then you work with a company that you have products that believe in. They have the culture that you like. You like the branding. You're representing a brand. That's what you're doing. You don't have to do a website mm-hmm. because the website will be given to you. In our case, um, you don't have you have the support of a community, and that's the other thing. It's a cult. It's a positive cult. Like they're drinking the Kool Aid. I'll drink this Kool Aid all day long. It's a Kool Aid of what? Making Positivity, money, business right? opportunity, helping, helping each other. If you're in the right culture, yes, you have to be in the right culture, right? So uh, we 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 praise ourselves of. Saying that we're in a culture, not saying, no, we don't say it, the, the community says it. In the, we're a culture that everybody's helping each other, right? That you want to have a training platform, you want to have customer service support, uh, you, you don't have to carry inventory, we'll carry the returns, you have 30, money, 30 days money back guarantee. You don't have to worry about all, any of that. All you have to worry is about marketing the product and selling the product. And if you decide to build a team, people will join. I mean, so in other words, you know, look, you like the product, you think it makes sense, you can join the company. If you don't like the product and you think the product is a scam, then the whole company is a scam. Kind of like that. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Right? And, then, and then, well, you know what? Oh, what? But I feel ashamed. Right? Do you know how many people that makes hundreds of thousands of dollars told me that they were so ashamed of being one of those? Right? You know how many dads? I know the stories of dads. Because yes. our, we have a lot of young girls. Right? Our demographic is between 24 and 35. And a lot of dads saying, I was against this, and now they're wearing the hat. Mm-hmm. And all the, it took, husbands, let's say, don't get into that to the, to the girls. And then they go to the events, it's like, this is an actual amazing community, yeah. right? And, and, the, and I always tell people, in, in our case, you join Monet and you're going to join a community, worst case scenario, you'll become a better person. Because the world out there is just f- full of negativity. Everywhere you go, and you come in a positive community, was the worst that could happen, right? So. Yeah. Um, Charles C. Masters asks, how do you prioritize and maximize your daily efforts as a CEO of such a big company? Right. Um, I have a schedule. Right? So I make sure I have a schedule and it doesn't take a lot of work, right? Your phone, uh, you use your calendar. And uh, I make sure that my schedule is always full with activities. Um, and then I let my schedule pull me, right? Because when you let your schedule pull you, in my opinion, you will, it will allow you to do the things that you don't have, you don't want to, even if you, hmm. if you don't feel like to. Because that's, that's a, a key thing, yeah. right? As a discipline. Right? Yeah. Most of days, people think that it's, per, it's a perfect life. Listen, so there are days that I don't, it's like, this is saying, I don't wish this life for hmm. many people. Yeah. It's very, a lot of stress, and it's a, doing a lot of things that you don't like, right? So if you put it into your schedule, it's like, this is what I have to do today, because... I have to, right? And, and the business need need me to do it. So having a schedule and I live by the schedule to the minutes. Um, good answer. <laughs> okay. A plus. Um, uh, Virgilia, uh, Virgil, 
Brajoli? I can't pronounce that. I'm sorry. Uh, what's the unique personal branding story that makes you stand out in the beauty market? Um, we have natural-based products that actually work. You mentioned this before, mm -hmm. yeah. So it's more than nature. It's that mixture of natural-based ingredients with clinical studies. So we, you, we, we, we recently launched a product. It's called IR Clinical. Um, that will help you with your scalp, that will help you with your hair fall. And we just did it a month ago, and it's in partnership with the University of Miami. Right? So we do believe in the science, but we use natural-based ingredients. So. Um, Marwan Blitz asks, what's the, what's the best recession-proof industry to start uh, for e-commerce or, or just any company? Best recession-proof. Network marketing. Network marketing? Yeah, because when the recession, and I, I actually spoke about this in my convention, beauty industry is great, right? People will keep taking care of themselves no matter what, and you know mm -hmm. this. But network marketing, too, because when things get tough, what do you need? You need an extra income. Yeah. And that's when more people will say, oh. So, so the barrier to entry to your business is, is much higher than just going in online and do what everyone else is doing. Yours is a little bit more complex. So once you go into a net network that exists already, you have already a pool of people, mm -hmm. right? And what product in, so you say network marketing, what product would you do if it wasn't hair care? If I was, well, I, I did hair care for five years and then I moved into skincare. Okay. Right. And we're doing very well in skincare. Uh, use the same mantra, natural based products that actually work, modern nature. Uh, we're number 12 in the United States as a brand of skincare. Uh, and then we did uh, wellness. Uh, I, would, I would do natural based products. Right? Uh, you have to be around the sustainability story mm -hmm. nowadays. You have to actually have ingredients that people will, that are bulletproof, that if the customer Google, uh, they will come up as safe. People, I mean, the level of scrutiny that customers have today on products is, is amazing, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's confusing. I said, don't go to with Dr. Google all the time, right? Because they won't give you the right answer. But I think natural-based, anything that's natural-based, that's sustainable. And if you can find something that you can share on Instagram, Right, that mm -hmm. is Instagram Instagrammable, mm -hmm. and uh, I, in Miami, I always say like the best places, the best restaurants, the best hotels, everything is a, they have an Instagrammable moment. Try to have products that can have that too. Good, good. Um, uh, D Santanello asks, "What's the the worst way or the dumbest way you've seen somebody sabotage their own success?" By losing focus, see it all the time. Mm -hmm. See it all the time. And one. see with my, my own market partners. They start making some money mm -hmm. and now drop the ball, start traveling and creating content. Right? It's like, listen, content is important. Right? We all are in social media. But content is not the only thing. Right? You really have to work day in, day out. And to think that to make some kind of money in a year is all the money in the world when there is so much more to do. I think that the biggest mistake is like you're sabotaging yourself just by dropping the ball so fast. Um, Zadi Z asks, what was the biggest mistake you made early on when you first started your company? Yeah, uh, well, we talk about mistakes, right? Yeah. I think uh, no hiding the, no, no, no fighting people fast enough or, yeah. or no hiding the right people. I think you have to make, do, depending on the industry that you are, just do the due diligence in terms of compliance and think that, because sometimes we don't mean that, but we make mistakes. So. Just the due diligence and the compliance part. Um, I think I think those few things here and there. Yeah. Um, Eric uh, Sue asks, "What are you investing in now? What are you excited about?" Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't follow Joseph's advice, so I invested in the in the stock markets. 
en en Sox you're stuck there for a while now <laughs> I know I yeah. know so it sucks so I did that I also did an investment that's when you start having some kind of capital on one of these um, funds yeah, right? yeah. mutual funds so, social rebuff uh, really social rebuff don't do that uh, but in terms of investment but that was for me it's very passive and very focused on what I do and really believe in focus. mostly investing in your business and yourself right yeah and yeah. really believe in focus I, and I think you posted something like that it's like yes, yes. don't multiple string of incomes yeah, like, yeah. no yeah. that's when you really are multi-millionaire and you can really have, yeah. have multiple st- strings of passive income but if you really want to be the best at something and really to succeed at something you have to pull the what is it? Pull all the eggs in your yeah. basket and wash the basket. Yeah, you can go and build a company like yours if you, you're trying 20 other things. It's like, I need to make sure I have a real estate portfolio while I'm building. But no, you have to do one thing, take it to the moon. And then after you exit, perhaps when you have some time, build a portfolio that is barely being managed. And then you can. But but it's just it's just to give this advice to everybody. It's just not. No, but I, like I was saying, I love to, to tell people this. Will I put all the eggs in one basket? Yes. Pull your eggs in one basket and wash that basket uh-huh. very carefully every day. I love that. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's smart. That's good. Do you want to do some? We, there's a whole bunch of uh, questions on money. Do you want to do questions on money? Sure. Let's Everyone's do, let's do them. all about money. Liquidity. All right. Uh, biggest financial regret? Uh, investing in the stock market. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> is it better? To and it's not the oh. first time. It's the second time I made the same mistake. You came but the in thing is that at the hype every time? No, not at the really high, but it always goes down. It's too much stress for me. Yeah. Right? It's stress that I don't need because yeah. I want to be focusing on my business. Uh, it's just that you get greedy, right? So when you see it going up and up and you don't get out. You don't get out. Yeah. I think I think if you have a discipline and you say, when I put investment, once I'm making 30%, I'm going to get out. And I was disciplined like that, and they say, "Well, you know what? Maybe sixty percent." Yeah. And then uh, nobody wants to leave the party, but then midnight comes, and exactly. the cor- the carriage. I was it's Buffett's uh, line it was like, "It turns into a pumpkin, and now everyone's stuck." And, yeah. Actually, these all these questions are from Elizabeth Pipko. These are these are really good questions. So, is it better to strike gold early on or make it later on in life? Like first time, is it good to have a success, or does that ruin you? No, I don't think so. Early on is fine for me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel money changes people or merely amplifies what's already there? I think it amplifies what's already there, 100%. Um, most expensive thing you've ever bought? Do I have to say that? You don't have to. Maybe you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. It's a good one. It is that a good was, one. Yeah. No, I don't, you know what? I don't buy a lot of expensive stuff. Maybe a watch. Okay, uh, that's fine. The most expensive wrong thing. With that. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, if you could use your, your wealth to solve one of the world's problems, which one would you solve? Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, I think I'm really focused on uh, hunger. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have people treated you differently as you've made more and more money? A little bit. A little bit. And uh, uh, it annoys me. Uh, in terms of, I think people just, I don't know if they were scared or they just don't really want to be, I think people get nervous sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I laugh. It's like, what? Why are you nervous around me? Right? Think people get nervous, or or and then they're not themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Just be yourself. Right? Be normal. Uh, yeah. I'm normal. So. No, that's good. Um, can money buy happiness? Uh, no, but it really puts you in a great position to be happy. Right? And because if it, if it amplifies who you are, right, you're just gonna be happier. Yeah. Right? If it amplifies who you are and you're already a miserable person, you're just gonna find ways. 
to be miserable, miserable right? So I've always said I was super happy when I bought my first townhouse in uh, what year was 2004. So I was 23. Um, I was really happy right, when I bought my first car. Uh, I was really happy when I moved to my house. And it's like in every stage of my life, it, oh, I cannot be happy, happier yeah. than what I am now. Mm -hmm. But it's because you will find ways to be happy. But I still I see people that they just find ways to be miserable. So yeah. with money. Yeah. Um, what can you share? Wait, I'm just reading these. What can you share about the way? No. Okay. So what would you tell somebody who feels like giving up? Hmm. Um, I understand most people will give up, and I think that's nature of the world. Uh, so don't be like everybody else. I love that. I love it. Um, and how much of your success would you attribute to luck? It's a debate. I was talking to 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 my dad actually about that the other day. I think you need you need to have some luck. Mm -hmm. I need to. I mean, I, uh, people say like, no, it's not. There is a saying. I love this saying. Oh, the harder I work, the lucky luckier I, get. I get. Which I believe on that too. Mm -hmm. It's like when you really focus and you're really immersed, and you're really passionate, everything goes right. It's, it's funny, right? Yeah. Because you, you, you maybe you, you know to take the right decisions, you know what to do. But I mean, I think, I mean, you, you want to call it blessings, or you want to call it universe, or whatever you believe in. We want the specific percentage, Ray. Right? <laughs> no, <it's kidding. laughs> you need a little bit of luck, right? You need yeah. a little bit of luck. Um, actually, you kind of mentioned this, you already mentioned about what causes you want to give back to and you, or what problems you'd like to solve. So I'm going to, that's a duplicate question. So um, what mindfulness practices, this is from, this is from uh, Rachel Perez. What mindfulness practices do you use in your daily life to stay focused and stay centered? Yeah, exercise. Exercise for me is big, right? Uh, so I do, I think two things that I always advise. Exercise, not only because you want to be healthy and look good, but it really clears your mind. I can tell you how many times I have gotten into the gym and I was just overwhelmed or just upset and got out of there mm -hmm. like nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and then don't let yourself um, immerse into negative news. So I always tell people, do not watch news. There's no point on it. Mm -hmm. Be informed. I mean, but with the, with the phone, you can see the headlines. That's yeah. all you need to know. Uh, if you want, if, if, if you need to know about something and don't let yourself into rabbit holes of negativity or even on social media and all that. So I think those, if you do those things, you, you will stay positive, right? Amazing. That's most of the questions. Those were good. Thank you. All right, thank you. That was good. good. Anything else good. you want to go into? Um, give us some uh, tips for people that try to get work-life balance or not as much as more like a family kids business balance because you've been doing it since 18 yes you've done this very <laughs> yeah. successfully very effectively so uh, what would you tell people yeah um i have a saying actually i was going to put it in the world in my office that says you can, you know that they said you cannot have it all mm -hmm. i think you can have it all right i do think that it's time for everything uh once again if you really follow a plan on the daily basics right and then you can balance quality. It's not about quantity of time, for example, with your kids. It's not about the quantity of the time that you give to your kids. For me, it's the quality of the time that you give to your kids. Um, so when you're there, you're present. You're, correct. Yeah. Be present. Be intentional. Right. Uh, for example, with my wife, I always said, I want to be intentional about doing day nights. Right. I want to be intentional about spending certain slots of times during the week with her. With my family, I want to be intentional about, hey, listen, uh, say my siblings, we haven't had fun together in a couple of months. Let's do something. Because I let I think people just let themselves go 
with whatever happens on the daily basis instead of being intentional of how you're going to spend your time. And uh, so I always say, okay, after a day of work or after a day of activities, I always ask myself, how was this day impactful for me? Mm. Right? Say, for example, I took the day off because it was my girl's birthday a couple of days ago. And I took her to different places. To, she wanted to go to Target and she wanted to go to one of these indoor uh, parks. And for me, it was powerful right? because it was important for me. I don't do that all the time, but I did it that day. That's it. And so for me, it's being intentional, have a plan. And, and, and depending on what's important for you, make sure that you are cultivating those, those moments, right? And, and that there is time for everything, even for exercise, right? Uh, I decided, what was it now? Like nine years ago that I want to I get fit and want to be healthy. And it's a non-negotiable for me. I will go to the gym no matter what, one hour a day. So it's a non-negotiable. If you do non-negotiables in your life, it's like, these are non-negotiable, non-negotiable. There are, there's so many hours of the day. And I see people say, I don't have time. Really, you don't have time? Let me see how, how long you spend on social media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I bet you spend 20. I, I did that exercise recently. That's how you make money, though. You text and scroll, right? <laughs> right, that, right. And then my, I don't even have to do anything. Yeah. Just be positive and be on Instagram. <laughs> uh, um, so I go, uh, I, 20 hours. How much can you do in 20 hours? Listen. You can do so much and still have time to watch an hour of TV. Yeah. I don't believe in the extremes. Like, don't watch TV. Don't do something. Listen, I watch TV. I go out. How many emails do you respond in a day? Oof. A lot. Okay. I haven't thought about it, but I wouldn't say less than 40 emails. Um, Interesting. No less than that. No. Okay. No. And way more text messages. So, okay. So, I mean, the, the, because that's the other thing. The phone gives you... The, fle the flexibility, right, of, of working, of taking the fast decisions, the important decisions. But once again, you have to balance everything. I think uh, an unbalanced life is when you say, I'm just going to dedicate all my time to work. How about the family? Or I'm going to dedicate all my time to my kids. Yeah, but the kids need a future. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you cannot yeah. just spend all the time with your yeah. kids. Oh, I'm going to be all the time with my wife traveling. I think many times yeah. it's just excuses for people that don't want to do one job and they're just going to that zone and they said, I'm, I'm only over here because X, Y, Z, instead of say, well, I'm not building the business because it's not secure, so I'd rather get that day job. And because it's not secure, I don't want to say I don't want to start it because it's not a good excuse because that's, that's the investment. You go into the unknown and you're putting your time, perhaps money. And they'll go and they'll say, I want to be more with my kids. But you just said, what do I need to do to make money? I'm just telling you. And it's like, and that's, right. that's one of the reasons. It's ask yourself, am I giving myself? Don't lie to yourself. Don't give yourself the excuse. Maybe to others, but ask yourself deeply. Is it one thing about be intentional. I mean, if you're building a business and you're building a family, if you want to build yourself, you have to be intentional and say, if I'm going to build myself, I really have to spend some time reading a book yes. or listening to a podcast. I have to do it. I don't feel like it, but it's part of your goals. You have to do it. Are you building a family? You have to spend time, quality time with your family. You're building a business. You have to know how to balance your business. But yeah, I like, I like that. I think people create excuses in their heads yeah. and you, because you tend to do the things that you like to do, not the things that you have to of do. Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah, you're more emotional, right? Your decisions are emotional and they're being justified by rational explanation, but they are emotional. So when you don't want to go to the gym, you'll tell all the stories of the why. Right? There is going to be a story why, but you, you can shoot holes into that story in a second if you just want to. You just, but the, the core, the bottom line is 
you're lying to yourself. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that saying that says, um, "Do what you love and you work work another day in your life." Ah, it doesn't you. make it doesn't make sense. Thank like, you. If you love fifty percent of what you do, you're lucky. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're lucky. So it's not like you're not gonna work another day of your life. It's not realistic. You have to do things that you don't like yeah. and then enjoy the result, right? But you have to enjoy the journey too. So what I do is, in anything I do, even if I don't like it, trying to find my way to enjoy it, right? And growing companies, for example, there's so many things that oh, should. I would I actually say tomorrow, that. Yeah. I would actually say that when you truly are not doing anything that's uncomfortable, it's actually not a very good life. Yeah. It's not a good life at all. And that's actually, in my opinion, why people retire then they die. Absolutely. They they die the second they stop trying to progress. And you actually not just like metaphorically, like people that actually stop Literally. working. They're healthy. They stop. No, there working. are studies about that. Right? And then they and then like five years, ten years, their no. health deteriorates yeah. immensely. Not everybody, but it does happen. There are so, studies about that because yeah. you, you have to have a reason to yeah. keep going. There's self-actualization, I, I think that's the term. You need a self-actualization to know that you're here because you're important and you're in the middle of building something so you don't disrupt your 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 mind with with negative thoughts, with everything else, right? If you if you go to any elderly community and uh, a central village over here, what you're going to find is that they'll call for maintenance for every little problem. You, you, the worst people you can rent the house to is uh, old people that do nothing because <laughs> they're home all day and they have nothing else to do but complain, right? <laughs> when you're busy doing something, you don't care about that little noise coming from the... You don't care about all those stuff. It doesn't bother your life. And that's where people start deteriorating. I love that. Yeah. I love that. No, but... Uh, I love what you said too about comfort zone, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something we all we have to ask ourselves: if I'm really comfortable, there is something wrong, right? If you're not uncomfortable, you're not growing. It's like a muscle; you yeah. have to break the muscle for the muscle to grow. So you have to break in yourself all the time for you to grow. And once you grow, now you because you know that they always say, "Be outside your comfort zone." I tell people, mm-hmm. "No, expand your comfort zone." Mm, I love right. that. So That's you keep expanding awesome. your comfort zone, right? I love it. You so, heard what Elon Musk said when they asked him, "What do you have? What advice do you have for people who wants to be entrepreneurs?" But I didn't hear that. Well, hey, did you I've hear that? I've seen a couple no. clips. Said, him, but... "If I need to convince you to be an entrepreneur, then don't be an entrepreneur." Oh yeah, that's that was, good advice. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you understand how many raining days you're gonna have? <laughs> moments that you're gonna doubt yourself, that you're gonna think you're not the right person. You're gonna have all those moments that you're gonna say. I wish I just had a stable job that I can just pay the bills because I don't have money to pay. It's just all those moments that are tough. And you said, do I really want to go through it? But somehow some people prevail and make it through the other side. Yeah, it's a trade-off. It's, for everyone. it's a trade-off, right? Yes. So, I mean, you can find a great job or a college, find a great job and make $200,000 a year. That's good. You make mm-hmm. a good life out of it, right? And you know it's stable, you know it's predictable. I mean, you can get far, but yeah. it's very predictable normally. And then you're in business and you don't know. and you're growing and there are days that you're just like, how many Lawsuits times? Lawsuits are on you, defamation, is, it's all on you. No, how many times you're going to say, I'm out of cash or yes, yeah. I don't know what tomorrow is. But then you, it's a trade-off because then you have the flexibility. You have not only the potential of building unlimited wealth, but the flexibility, the freedom. And that's what I always tell people too who want to be market partners. I cannot believe you don't want to get freedom and be free of, mm-hmm. of, of your time, right? And working on your own terms. Not work less. Because being an entrepreneur is not working about working less. It's about working more. It's about having more stress. But it's about, about being free, right? And I think that's the most powerful thing that we entrepreneurs have. You can create your own liabilities, right. your own, your own uh, I would say, uh, obligations. You create your own obligations. 
everything you're doing as an entrepreneur, you're doing it for yourself. So it's much more digestible for your in your own hand versus someone else telling you what to do. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but you have to have the self-discipline yes. and you have to have the, the courage and you have to have the mental strength. I think the number one thing, right? People don't have mental strength, right? Uh, be pragmatic and have the mental strength to know that there is no plan B. I was talking about the plan B because I think that too. If you're always thinking, well, you know what? Worst case scenario. And that happens a lot in this business, in my business. Because it's easy to get in. It's easy to get out, right? Mm -hmm. If you invest $100,000 of your life savings into, say, a restaurant or a spa, and you're going to do everything in your power to make it work. Because that's it, right? You put all this money that took you years to save. If you put $200, mm -hmm. you'll find an excuse to quit fast, mm -hmm. right? So it's easy, easy out. And that's the thing. It's like, treat this as a business and really fight for your dreams and know that it's a level playing field. If there's hundreds and thousands of people doing it, making it work, what's the difference? The difference is you. So, so yeah. do you have this data on, among your, your partners, the, the people that commission people? If, if you see a group of few that started together and they're doing good, all of them are mostly going to do good versus randomly people that come in by themselves and they'll just give up because they don't have a network of friends that are doing the same thing successfully to give them the motivation to know it's possible. You don't it's, have that data? It's No, but I can tell you, it doesn't make a difference. Really? It doesn't make a difference. I have it. Or, I mean, I have... I have market partners that have come with um, being influencers, right, already, when they have this huge network. A few have make it work, I mean, big, and some, they never work for Nothing. Them, right? I have had people that came with their Instagram, with 100 people on their Instagram, and they have gone all the way to the top. Wow. I have people that have come and have been lucky to get a great upline, so a great people, person that brought them and mentored them. I have people that have been successful. So mentoring sales. is important in your business? It is very important. Interesting. It's very important. Uh, but, hey, I have people that have come without a great mentor and still... Made it. They made it. They found a way. We offer a lot of resources, right? Uh, we have virtual trainings. We have events, training events that the corporation does. And and do have a lot of support in the community. They find ways. So it's not really... There is no really one way that you say, this is the key. Mm -hmm. No. It's about the person. The person makes a difference. Um, last question I had, uh, you mentioned comfort zones and obviously you said like expand your comfort zone. I love that. What are you working on right now? What is your, what, you know, you built a great company, obviously very successful. What are you doing to push yourself out of your own comfort zone or expand your comfort zone? Well, um, I always want to be a, be a better leader, right? So I think once you, you grow a certain size of company, you have executive teams, I have hundreds of thousands of people looking up to me and try myself to be a better a better leader, right? And leadership is a whole topic. Uh, so trying to be that level five leader mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to strive for. Beautiful. Amazing. All right, that's it, man. Thank Ray, you so much. Thank, thank you. you so much. Right. That was amazing. Right, cool. Thank you very much. I enjoy the conversation. Me too, me too. Brother, thanks for coming. We're going to have man. you coming again.